Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, I was so saddened to hear yesterday of the death of former Fine Gael TD and Cork County Councillor. Uh, who represented uh, no- Northwest Cork for so many years. Frank Crowley uh, sadly passed away on Tuesday of this week. And Frank was very much a man who loved his community and knew his community so well. So I'm assuming his passing now will be felt by a lot of uh, people. He served as a TD for Cork Northwest for 16 years. He was first elected in 1981. He then he retained that seat for five subsequent elections before finally losing his seat in 1997. But of course, he'd also served for 30 years as a county councillor for the Canturk uh, area. And he, of course, topped the poll in 1991. And I would have had the honour, certainly in the early years of this radio programme, of interviewing uh, Frank, particularly when it came to do with issues that affected his people and his constituency. And a whole host of people have come out to pass on their condolences and to talk very kindly of now the late uh, Frank Crowley, the former Taoiseach Enda Kenny, said that Frank had loved politics, loved his people and was deeply proud of Cork. Uh, Enda Kenny said he had a deep understanding of the nature of rural people and was never intimidated in having their grievances aired at parliamentary party meetings and where appropriate in the Dáil Chamber. Enda Kenny says that Frank Crowley's sense of humour was infectious and he storytelling a joy. Cork Northwest has lost a good and a loyal servant and those that knew him have lost a very good friend. The former Taoiseach John Bruton said he was deeply saddened to learn of Frank's passing. He said Frank loved North Cork and spoke up for it with such a deep, deep conviction. John Bruton said that Frank Crowley was popular with his colleagues and the Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney said Frank had been a genuine and down-to-earth people person who was really liked in his constituency. Cork North West TD Michael Creed said uh, Frank had been his friend and his colleague and he went on to offer his condolences to Frank's wife Wynne and the entire family. Um, Michael Creed and Frank Crowley had been uh, uh, Michael Creed said Frank had been a public representative with a cross-party reputation for honesty 
integrity and a dedication and I think any politician would love that to be said about, about him that they were known for their honesty their integrity and their dedication Colin Burke Fine Gael TD for Cork North Central he said that Frank Crowley had been a great champion for his constituents and a very hard worker Senator Jerry Bottomer said Frank had been a gentleman and a tremendous public servant who was very dedicated to his constituents the Cork East TD David Stanton he described Frank as a stalwart of the party a salt of the earth person who had flown the flag for so many years and I've also had a statement in from the Tónis de Leo Varadkar on the death of uh, Frank he says uh, throughout his time Frank Crowley helped Fine Gael win two seats for the party in the fiercely contested three-seater constituency for six general uh, uh, elections Leo Varadkar said that Frank played a major part in ensuring development and infrastructural projects for his constituency and was a leading role in providing including flood relief works for Canturk Town. And as I say, everybody has nothing but kind words to say about uh, Frank. So we pass on our deepest, deepest sympathies to Frank's wife, Wynne, to his uh, two children, Leah and uh, Leah and Kem and the, all of the grandchildren and extended friends and uh, families. Uh, Cr- Frank will be reposing at St. McCarthy's funeral home in Bantir. That's this evening from half past six. It's followed by removal then at eight o'clock to St. Joseph's Church in Lyre. And then the funeral mass will take place tomorrow Thursday at 11am with burial afterwards in the adjoining cemetery or yesterday Gorev and Annam Delish at the late Frank Crowley John Paul's taking your calls at 0818 103 103 you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 anything you want to get off your chest we'd love to hear from you last week and I think it was this day last week we were talking so much about Puck Fair and in particular about the welfare of the goat, the, the King Puck at uh, Puck Fair. Well, in the papers today, there is reports that the Department of Agriculture will, has said it's now going to be reviewing the welfare of the Puck Fair goat ahead of next year's festival. So this is a story that certainly isn't going away. The Department of Agriculture have acknowledged that they have received 175 animal welfare complaints about this year's event and of course tradition has it that at the annual puck fair in Calorgan a goat, a goat, a wild goat is captured from the mountains. He's crowned the King Puck. He's paraded through the town during the three day event. And then, of course, he's placed in a cage, which is on a 50 foot stand. But the main focus of the attention this year was, of course, this time last week, we had uh, this heat wave, very high temperature warnings were coming into effect for the three days of the Puck Fair and because of that there was a push to have the goat at least taken down from the cage. He was removed on two separate occasions, one on Thursday and one on Friday. But the department say by Friday evening they had received 175 complaints worried about the goat's welfare. So the department say that they will be taking into consideration the contacts they have received, i.e. the complaints, in recent uh, days and they will be reviewing the matter in advance of next year's fair. And remember, the goat was taken down because it was the Department of Agriculture got onto the organising committee. It wasn't the organising committee deciding it's too hot up 
there for the goat. He was taken down initially on Thursday and then he was put back up again and the department had to ring again on Friday and say, would you ever take the goat down? So they finally did. And of course, there was animal welfare uh, groups from all over the country and individuals all raising their concerns about the goat's well-being. And the Animal Rights Action Network, Aaron, they say that King Pock is a tradition that should be consigned to the history books. Aaron's group founder is John Carmody. He said the fair should be animal free and he suggested a mechanical goat could be used instead. The Kerry Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, they also say that they had received quite a few calls from members of the public who were demanding that the goat would be removed. However, the Kerry Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals uh, said it couldn't personally go out and remove the goat and that it was up to the festival's vet to make the judgment call. But very much coming out and batting on behalf of the committee of Puck Fair was the independent TD Danny Healy Ray. He defended the practice of the goat being placed in a cage and suspended over the town of Kilorgan. He said, I respect the organising committee's decision to take him down in this exceptionally warm weather. But he said, I don't believe it's wrong in the first place and putting him up there. He says, because they know what they're doing and that this committee and all of the committees over the last 400 years since the Puck Fair has been organised, have the goat's welfare always at the centre. He said he saw the goat and that the goat is fine. He said that he was glad to see that the people were enjoying themselves in, in Kilorglin and after being locked up and, you know, with the pandemic, there hadn't been a Puck Fair for the last two years. So he sees absolutely nothing uh, wrong with it. But the only thing, Danny Healy Ray uh, saying that he respects the decision of the organising committee to take down the goat during the exceptionally warm part of the day. But would the organising committee have taken the goat down if they hadn't received a phone call from the Department of Agriculture telling them twice to take the goat down? So we'll watch this and uh, follow this story with great interest and see what happens, particularly next year as we head into Puck Fair. Will the Department of Agriculture have a ruling and will they decide to end the tradition on behalf of the committee? Only time will tell. All this week, Cork Today, we're giving you a chance to win with Specsavers Hearing. They're celebrating our Ireland's reopening with tickets to great events and experience. And they've given us tickets to get some of our listeners to see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House in October, along with a friend and also a €100 Euro Greens restaurant uh, voucher. I'll play an audio clip of Tommy Tiernan with a word missing. And you've got to guess what the missing word is. Specsavers, of course, have expert audiologists in your local Specsavers store. And Specsavers Audiology, bringing back the sounds you've missed the most. We'll be asking you to text or WhatsApp your answers a little bit later on when I play a little clip from Tommy Tiernan talking with a word missing. Listen out for that a little bit later on. Uh, calls coming in about the puck in the goat in Kilorglin. Now the Department of Agriculture are saying that they are reviewing the welfare of the future goats at Puck Fair because of the amount of complaints they received over this year's event. Tony says, why can't they use a pet goat? 
there are many families around the country who have a pet goat. So many people are complaining. I wonder what they notice with those people who are complaining. Know the difference between a puck goat and a she goat. I wouldn't have a clue myself, Tony. Morrison Glanthorn says uh, when he heard Danny Healy Ray defending the goat going up in the cage, wonders would Danny Healy Ray go up in a cage for three days and do it for a good charitable organisation? Morris suggests the very same cage as the goat was placed in. Would Danny Healy Ray do that? It's like people bring their dogs for a walk at midday on a very warm day. How would they like it if they were sent out for a walk with a big heavy coat on them and asked to walk in their bare feet? Denise said those that are complaining she said I'd love to know how many of them know anything about wild animals. Have they dealt with wild animals in the past? Uh, Denise says everybody is entitled to their opinion but those that are complaining to the Department of Agriculture do they really know and understand animals or is it all what they think they know? And then Emer Inishannon is just sick and tired of people complaining. She said, every single day I seem to be hearing com- people complaining about something. Today it's the goat at Puck Fair. Yesterday she heard people giving out over a TV show in the UK. We've become a world full of complainers. If you look at Twitter or other social media, it's just people complaining about something. Is nobody happy anymore? The goat at Puck is a tradition. Yes, they need to look after the health and welfare of the animal and ensure that the goat is, is kept well. But if a local vet maintains that he maintains him every day and as he is wild, why are these people only complaining now? What about the last 50 years or more? Uh, well, I suppose this year was because of the heat more than anything else. Animal rights groups, in fairness, uh, Emer have complained in the past. It just, I think it garnered a lot of attention because of the heat and what the goat was going to go through in a cage during the hottest week of the year. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. According to Age Action, surging price rises are hitting the spending power of older people like a tsunami and are set to force many of them to go without essentials like food, heating, transport, or even their medical needs. To explain how older people are affected by the rising cost of living, I'm joined from Age Action by Nat O'Connor. Good morning to you, Nat. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, older people who rely solely on the state pension, are they the ones most affected? As many of them can't go out and, say, for example, earn extra income when prices start to rise. Well, this is exactly. I mean, for, for the, there are many older people who are still at work or raising an income, but most older persons are, are not in a position to raise their income. And if they have cash savings in the bank uh, for retirement, they're not in a position to boost those savings by by adding to them. So, you know, inflation hits us all. We're all losing spending power. But older people are particularly uh, vulnerable to that because they don't have the ability to increase their income. So that's a major concern for us. So what has the impact been on their spending power? Well, this is it. I mean, we've all seen the prices go up. And you're, you know, people are seeing you know, energy bills go up 30% or more. Home heating oil is very expensive. But what we've done in this analysis is turn it around and look at the, the value of the euro in your pocket, to put it that way. So if at the start of the year in January, if you had 100 euro in the supermarket uh, and you could fill up your basket with a certain amount of things, by December of this year, you'd only be able to get what 91 euro would have bought you in January. 
So if you like, 100 euro is turning into 91 euro. And, we, and by the end of next year, it could be as low as 80 euro. So in other words, what you're getting for your money is much less. So even if your savings account looks like you have the same amount of money, in reality, it's shrinking in value. Its spending power is decreasing. And that's what we're worried about. Because even though some of these energy costs may be temporary, in the sense that bills may go down again for certain things like the home heat next year, but it doesn't mean prices across the economy are going to come down. There'll be the new, the new normal in terms of the price of milk or the price of bread mm. or even the price of petrol. And that's, you know, that's going to be very hard for people. Yeah, and uh, we're constantly hearing that from people who are noticing, you know, particularly when you're, they're doing their weekly shop, how everything is going up. And people are, are constantly saying that we're just going to get used to these prices. We won't see them fall at the same level as which they went up. And that's the way, it's the natural way in the economy. There's always a bit of inflation. And so the ESRI is predicting 4% inflation next year. Personally, I think it'll be a bit higher uh, because their prediction was made a few months ago and we're still seeing very high energy costs. But whatever it is, you know, the prices always keep going up. So it's really important, obviously, that uh, people's incomes also go up. So we're, we're looking at a situation where if you have the full rate state pension, you're going to lose €22.60 in its spending power between January and December of this year alone. And so that's why we're calling for €23 Euro in the pension uh, to be given in budget 2023. And while that might sound like a lot, it simply lets you buy the same basket of goods in the supermarket. You won't be any better off, uh, but what it'll stop you being is worse off mm. uh, if you get the €23 Euro in the budget. Because there's talks of the state pension going up by €15. Euro. I think everyone got used to a fiver for everybody in the audience in, in the budget. But I think everybody accepts that they've got to give more than a fiver. So there has been talks of €15. Euro. But what you're saying at Aid Action, that's not going to be enough. It would be an effective cut in real terms. So, if you, I mean, obviously... 15 euro would be better than nothing. But, you know, it, it means people will still be able to buy less in terms of what they can afford uh, if they were to get 15 euro. And that might seem incredible, but we're not in ordinary times. I mean, what we've seen is we, we've had years, really a very long time of low inflation, where prices are going up 1% or 2% a year. Now they're going up, older people are facing nearly 10% increase in the prices of their typical goods and services that they buy food and energy being a very important part of that. And so the budget has to react to what's going on in the economy. Uh, and our worry is that, you know, people haven't fully got their heads around yet the extent to which people are really losing spending power. And so the, the, the budget needs to step up. There's also talks not of increases in things like the living alone allowance and the fuel allowance. I, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, that will all be welcomed. But of course, that's not for everybody. Like not, not every. There, I think there's this misconception that everyone who is on an old age pension gets the fuel allowance. They don't. You're quite right. About one in three or a third of older persons will get the fuel allowance because it's means tested. You have to be in a low income. Now, we've been in talks with uh, some government departments, Minister Ryan's department in particular, about our idea of an energy guarantee. We would like to see fuel allowance expanded, but not just in terms of the amount of money going into it, but expanded to people who are in the poorly insulated homes. Because you can identify kind of the worst insulation in, the, in homes, and that's where people are paying really a lot more to keep those houses warm. And it's just the nature of the way houses were built in the 60s and 70s and so on, that people 
are perhaps not in a position to afford an upgrade or don't get the grant, but they, they need extra help with energy. So we'd like to see, you know, some imagination in the budget in terms of targeting those people who are particularly affected by the home heating costs. Because as you said at the beginning, not everybody gets the existing fuel allowance. And the big worry, Nat, is that older people will cut back on things like food and uh, heating, basic things that they need to stay alive and to stay healthy. I mean, that's where the real worry is here. Absolutely. And I mean, we all need to eat healthily, you know, but in older age in particular, you still have to eat a healthy diet in terms of fruit and vegetables and getting uh, protein. In fact, we have to eat more protein as we get older uh, to keep our muscles in good shape. And so, you know, it's really important that people have the income, income adequacy, that they can afford to have a sort of a, a minimum standard of living. So that's why it's very important that the budget, for example, would, sorry, the state pension is, is grounded in the evidence. You know, how much does it cost to achieve a minimum essential standard of living? And there is research done on that by the, uh, there's a research group in the Vincent de Paul which looks at exactly those details. So the evidence is there. And we can see the prices going up, so the budget needs to keep track. And, and I should say, in the UK and in other European countries, as the pension, welfare and tax bands are all indexed, which means that they all automatically go up when inflation goes up or when average earnings go up. So Ireland is quite unusual that we have such a political process about things like the, the welfare or, or the pension. Whereas in other countries, you know, it's automatic. It's just part of their economic system. So people know where they're at. And we, we, you know, there's been talk of that here, but we really need to see movement towards that because that's the, the safety net that people need so that there's no guessing game going on about the pension, that people would know if prices go up, at least they get the same, you know, enough money to afford the same basic amount of goods and services. Yeah, same bang for their buck. They'll be able to at least cover their basic necessities. Ted, one of our listeners, wants to know, is this cost of living, inc- all the cost of living increases, is it different to the inflation during the Celtic Tiger boom? It is. So the, the, the key thing there, during the Celtic Tiger, everything was going up. So, you know, wages were going up to an incredible extent. There was a lot of tax money coming in from the housing, from the stamp duty, and that was going into welfare. They were growing welfare. So everything was, you know, like a balloon. Everything was going up at the same time. And if you like, the, the, the rise, we know the rising tide didn't lift all boats during the Celtic Tiger, but that was the idea. It was more uplift. What we're seeing now is that inflation is coming externally. It's coming from uh, European monetary policy. It's coming from the energy cost the Russian invasion of Ukraine, things that are outside of our control to a large extent. And it's, you know, it's hitting us from the outside. So, of course, you know, incomes are not necessarily uh, rising in the same way. So it's much more like the 1980s in terms of inflation. So we really haven't had this kind of inflation in a long time. And now I should say, part of what the inflation does, it raises up the tax revenue. So the government is bringing in much more income tax, much more VAT, much more excise than it would normally have expected for this year. So there's several billion more has been collected already this year compared to the same time last year. So, you know, that inflation has an upside mm. in the sense that it can drive... Yeah, there, 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 there is a feeling like they're, they are awash with money, which means they can afford bigger social welfare increases. They can. They certainly can. It would cost about one and a half billion to raise all social welfare by 20 euro and state pension by 23, um, which would be a proportionate increase. Um, 
and at the same time, tax revenue is up by five or six billion compared to what it was at the same time last year. So the money is there. You know, this can be sustainable. It's, it's, it can be good management of the finances, leaving aside that things like corporation tax might be a bit of a, a one-off windfall. That's fine. Even leaving that aside, they have a solid tax base in which they can afford to, 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 to properly index and protect people on the lowest income, including people on the state pension. Okay, I can see a couple of people are saying well done to Age Action for speaking up on behalf of older people. But a few others are suggesting as a way for an older person to make a little bit extra income, including Dennis, why not look at renting out a room? You can earn up to €14,000 a year tax-free and surely that would help with the bills coming in into the house. Is that something you'd encourage older people to look at, Nat? Certainly, if you're in a situation where that works for you, you know, it's something that people should look at. Uh, and we know that many older persons are working. Uh, we've heard of people who, are, who, are, who feel they have no choice but to work, even if they're approaching their, their 70th birthday or beyond. Um, but it should always be a choice. It should be about, you know, what works for you. You know, if you've been living on your own or living as a couple for many years without someone living in your house, you know, or someone else, it makes sense, you know, that you have to make that decision about your quality of life, how it would affect you. But certainly there's a housing crisis and if people want to rent rooms, there are supports available from different organisations to help you manage that and to help you, you know, you deal with, you know, the, the, the professional dealing with someone who's renting a room. Um, so it's certainly something people might look into, but it won't work for everybody. Mm. Uh, yeah, I saw a woman on the on the paper today uh, talking about the very issue that you're talking about. Today. She's a 72 year old woman who works uh, part time. She's on a, a, a non contributory pension, but she says she has to go out, uh, go out to work because she's renting a property. Because that's another misconception that every older person owns their own home. Absolutely. Um, so there be, you know, a one in forty older persons age 65 or older are renting. Yeah. And they're concentrated in people in their 60s. Uh, and so this is growing. We expect, once we get the findings from the latest census, we expect to see a much bigger number. Uh, and this is only going one way in the sense that, you know, the number of people who are homeowners is going down. And so, yeah, a lot of people have to pay rent. And of course, people who might live in the local authority housing, they're paying rent as well. Mm-hmm. That comes out mm-hmm. of the pension. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah so absolutely. It, and and, and it's, it's a real concern for the future because, of course, rents go up to such an extent that, you know, how, how are you going to cope with that if you're reliant on a state pension? It's, it's, a, it's a real worry going forward. OK, so you're saying the minimum that should be given to, uh, by way of an increase to the state pension is €23 Euro a week? €23, Euro, exactly. OK, watch this space. Let's wait and see what happens next month. And Nat, in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much indeed. Good morning to you. That is uh, Nat O'Connor of Age Action flying the flag on behalf of older people. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Next guest, Jamie Coogan from Clonakilty in West Cork, has personally written to the US President Joe Biden, inviting him to come to Cork as part of his much promised trip to Ireland. Jamie is one of the founders of a group called Stuttering Awareness Mental well-being and he hopes that Joe Biden's visit would amplify their message of hope. Jamie Coogan uh, joins me. Good morning to you Jamie. 
Hello, Patricia. Yeah. How is everything? I'm very good and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, you've garnered a lot of support for your invitation to uh, Joe Biden to visit Cork. Tell me about the letter that you sent with your invitation. There's uh, quite a, a list of, of people who signed that letter. There is, there is. So we have spent the last uh, two years to gain the support of the leadership of Cork. And it all started at MTU. So I knew with this campaign that I had to go back to where I came from. And I had to gain the support of the president and my former mentors. And it all kicked off from there to sign the invitation to the United States president. And people willingly signed it, as you say, the leadership of MTU, Cork City Council, Cork County Council, Garda Corner, uh, University College, uh, Cork, as well as both members of the Houses of the Aractus. Really, really impressive. Have you received a reply yet from the White House? No, we haven't received a reply, but we did get confirmation that it is uh, in the White House uh, with the uh, senior advisors to Joe Biden. Okay, so it's landed on the right desk. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your your own personal journey. When did you first develop a stutter? When I was four years old, I fell and I hit my head and I ended up knocking out my four front teeth. And I think it was from that moment I developed a stutter. And it progressed through childhood and it is very embarrassing going through uh, primary school not being able to say your name, where you're from, uh, details about yourself. And it progressed into second level. And I will always remember the first day of secondary school because we were in an assembly and there were 96 individuals in the assembly and we all had to go around one by one to say our names, where we're from, and our hobbies and interests. And I was the second last person, and eventually it came to me, and I could not say my name. And the whole room started to laugh at me. I think that moment was the first uh, significant moment where I knew that I was different than anyone else. And it also left a big impact on me, but it continued into, into third level, and... It was my first presentation and it was supposed to last 15 minutes, but it lasted over 20 minutes and I couldn't get past the first slide because I could not introduce the topic I was going to to talk about. And I left that room with a lot of shame, guilt and embarrassment. And I ended up locking myself away for three days, um, going into isolation. And I had some very bad thoughts in my mind over the next three days. And on day three, I picked up the phone and I made a phone call and I asked for help. What an incredible story. And and I'm still picturing that young boy, that young Jamie on his first day in secondary school. I mean, that's a difficult transition for any young boy and young girl and the, the dread of everybody else speaking ahead of you. And then for that to happen, that the words just wouldn't uh, wouldn't come out. But listening to you speak today here on the radio, Jamie, you speak with such fluency. Talk me through that journey of how you developed those skills to speak with such fluency. When I made a phone call to ask for help, 
um, it was at a moment where you reach rock bottom. And it is extremely difficult when you make a phone call and ask for help because you're putting yourself into a very uh, vulnerable situation. And three months later, after asking for help, I met an individual whose name is Michael O'Shea. And I spent four days with Michael O'Shea retraining how to breathe and talk all over again. And Michael was my mentor for me over the next few years. And I dedicated everything to change myself and to change the way that I speak and to work on my mind so that I can get myself um, to a better life and eventually be the person that I want to be. And my parents had a massive impact with that, with the constant encouragement and all the phone calls that they're making to try and get me help and support that just was not there at the time. But I owe a lot to uh, my parents too. Well, Don, you're, well, you're, you're a credit to yourself and, and to your parents for sure. Talk to me, though, about supports, Jamie. I mean, what supports are currently available for young people who you 100% can identify how hard their school days are? What supports are currently available? I think that depending on your age, when you're very, very young, the first point of contact really would be um, the speech and language therapist. And then when you eventually get older, um, there is our national association that is the Irish Stuttering Association. And I think this is very, very important. But if there is anyone listening here, you know whether you're a parent or whether you're a teenager or a child who has a stutter, um, they can contact me. I will give you my private phone number and I would be happy to have a conversation um, with them. Yeah, that's incredible that you want to help out and help and reach out to other people so they don't have to go through some of the experiences uh, that you had. Do you see Joe Biden, uh, Jamie, as a great inspiration? I think that Joe Biden showed the world what can be achieved uh, with a stutter. He is uh, the leader of the free world. Um, I listened to the president very, very uh, closely and all of his speeches. And you will always hear certain things that the president likes to speak about a lot. And that is his love of Ireland, his Irish roots, and also his love of Irish poetry. Because as a young man, the president would look in the mirror and he'd read the poetry of Yeats. Mm -hmm. And that was his way of overcoming his challenges with stuttering. And he's often spoke about stuttering publicly. He, as president-elect, he did a town hall with Anderson Cooper, who is the CNN correspondent. And the president spoke about confidence and public speaking and how he himself has overcome his issues with stuttering. And he spoke about this just four months ago. He was addressing a group of young school children in Washington on public speaking. And I know that if um, our campaign um, was to share a platform with the President of the United States, it would certainly amplify, amplify our message of hope to the 50,000 people in Ireland who live with a stutter every day.
And if you want to make an impact, you go straight to the top of the spear. And Joe Biden is at the top of the spear. Well done. Well well done. And you want to produce a book that you hope would help others. Yes, yes. Um, So we have decided to release uh, a publication, a full publication with the stories of individuals who stutter from all around the world, the advice from speech and language therapists, uh, the stories of the educators from primary to third level, the stories of the parents and the spouses, and also um, the stories of Ireland's best public speakers. And you've set up a GoFundMe page to try to raise the money to cover the cost of that publication. Yes, uh, we would be delighted if um, if, if uh, anyone would would like to support the publication. Um, it will go far and wide to certainly help others, not only in Ireland, but also around the world as well. Okay, you really are uh, in- incredible, uh, Jamie. Julie says, I'm just catching Jamie's uh, interview when he speaks of the difficulties that he experienced in school. My son has been diagnosed with verbal dyspraxia and I worry already how he will cope when he has to do oral CBA presentations in secondary school. There are zero accommodations for him and his uh, peers. Uh, you can identify with that, Jamie. I can. I can. But there is hope out there and there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that, and it might seem hard at the moment, but there certainly is. And you know, she can uh, send me an email and I will put her in contact with a, a very good friend of mine who certainly can help in that situation. Well done. And you, your organisation is called Stuttering Awareness Mental Wellbeing Ireland. Yes, um, it is a campaign that eventually that we will hope to develop into becoming charity uh, status. Okay, and do, do you have a website yet set up for it? The website will actually be launched um, Friday week. Friday week? Uh, Friday week, the website will be launched, but they can contact us through our Facebook or Instagram pages. Uh, both of them are called Stuttering Awareness Mental Wellbeing Ireland. Okay, Stuttering Awareness Mental Wellbeing Ireland. And when you get that website up and running, contact us, uh, Jamie, because I certainly would love to give you as much publicity as uh, possible. And also keep us updated on any correspondence that you get from the White House and President Joe Biden. It would be fantastic if if he could uh, manage to into a trip to Cork on his much promised visit. In the meantime, you have been an absolute inspiration to talk to this morning. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, continue with the great work you're doing on behalf of others. And uh, thank you very much for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. That bye-bye. is uh, Jamie uh, Coogan. Uh, from, as I say, it's uh, an organisation that I wasn't aware of, but he has set it up with uh, two others, Stuttering Awareness, Mental Wellbeing uh, Ireland. And he's got fantastic fluency for a young man who, you know, not so long ago, you could just picture him inside in that assembly, dreading that he was going to have to say his name, where he's from and what was his hobbies. And then, of course, other children 
Uh, children can be cruel without even realising it, actually laughing at him, the, the poor little thing. Uh, so well done to Jamie Coogan. Uh, really enjoyed my chat. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CM You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about stuttering in the last hour with uh, Jamie. Somebody says, hi Patricia, I also had a bad stutter when I was a child. It started when I was about six years of age, but I got out of it thanks to the help of my dad. He used to make me sing songs with him. And I've heard that before, that people who have had re- and continue to have really bad stutters and when they sing, they don't stutter. And I don't know what that, that is about. But even listening to Jamie talking about Joe Biden and how Joe Biden got over his stutter was to recite Irish poetry and to do it into a mirror just to to watch himself speaking in order to get over his stutter. There are various ways of doing it, but I certainly have heard that singing does uh, help. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And then somebody, there's no name on this, wants to clarify something that's on the radio this morning on one of on our news bulletins. And actually, there's been a lot of commentary about it. And this is to do with the connections with uh, Michael Collins as we're coming close to the 100th anniversary of his death and his links to the Imperial Hotel in Cork. This listener says, Hi, I'd like to clarify something. This morning I heard on your radio, on your news bulletin, that a room in the Imperial Hotel is being renamed named the Michael Collins room and that he was brought there when injured. Now I spent a lot of time in Chanakeel Hospital which of course has now closed and was always told that the particular room where Michael Collins was taken to was room 100 and that's where Michael Collins was taken when he was uh, injured. Your report on the news this morning is saying a different number. Okay, what we were talking about on the news this morning is the, it's room 115 isn't it I'm sure, yeah, room number 115 and that's where Michael Collins spent his last two nights alive that's the one that's been transferred transformed into the Michael Collins uh, suite it's where he had stayed in the Imperial Hotel the two nights and he did he leave from that hotel that morning then when he went off for his trip around West Cork and then of course what happened in Bailinablaw but I think what you're talking about was after the ambush in Bailinablaw Michael Collins' body was placed in an armoured car and was then taken back to Cork City and the convoy headed back to the Imperial Hotel and from the Imperial Hotel he was then transferred to Shanakeel Hospital and it was in Shanakeel Hospital that his body, that he was pronounced dead. So maybe that's where you're talking about was was room 100 used for that. I have no details on the room number that was used there but what the Imperial Hotel itself is celebrating is the fact that Michael Collins spent his last two nights alive um, was in room 115 and that's what they have now um, transformed into the Michael Collins uh, suite. Thank you for your WhatsApp this morning. Also coming in on by text, still getting in some commentary to do with Puck Fair that we spoke about uh, earlier. Somebody says, Patricia, what about our homeless people here in Ireland? Nothing about them during last week's heat wave. Where do they go for shade? Nowhere. 
and they all uh, survived. It seemed to be all about a wild goat. And someone else says now that the drunken orgy of Puck Fair, don't know if the festival committee would like to hear you talk about that. But now the Puck Fair is over with the protesters ever move on to the horrific conditions of live exports. Exports. What is the Department of Agriculture doing about that, says a texter. And hi, Patricia. We were, happened to be in Killarney last week for a few days and we decided to go to Kilorglin and see what all this fuss was about, this uh, puck goat. And I must say, on Thursday night, the goat looked very relaxed and comfortable. He had a cover over him, which meant there wasn't sunshine directly on him that could have caused him to get burnt or distressed. He also had plenty of water and plenty of hay. I personally think, looking at the goat in the cage, he looked a lot more comfortable than if he'd been out in the open on the mountains where he would have had no shade and he would have to go in search of uh, water. We all, during the heatwave last week, ran in shade, in, in, ran in search of shade from the sun to keep cool. The vet's job was to ensure that the puck was healthy, safe and under no stress. And this listener who was down in Kilorglin made a point of going to Kilorglin to check out uh, puck and said that the goat was okay. And if nothing else, all of the publicity that the organisers got last week, it is cer- it certainly stood to them. And I think if anything, it definitely increased the numbers that would have attended Puck Fair this year. Now, I know there would have been a big increase in the numbers, the fact that it wasn't on for the previous two years because of the pandemic. But I think all of the publicity, what did they say? There's no such thing as uh, bad uh, publicity. And Tina says, I've been listening to the talk about the Puck Fair. I was in Killarney on Sunday, when the, the last day of the heatwave. Is anyone going to do anything about the Jarvis? The horses were standing out all day and it was nearly 30 degrees heat in Killarney on Sunday. I haven't heard anybody talk about the welfare of the horses and the Jarvis 0818-103-103. And Nancy in Bantry says, to the caller who suggested that older people might consider renting out a room if they're finding that things are tough at the moment, I feel I would rather do without food. I would rather cut back on items than take a stranger into my house. And if not a stranger, even... take in a friend you could break up a friendship by taking somebody in to live with you it brings up the old phrase come live with me to to know me so no I would rather cut back on items and in fairness when I put it to Nat O'Connor about that suggestion he did say it works for some people it doesn't work for everybody there are some people love the idea particularly if they're living alone of having a little bit of company in the house uh, with them. I know a friend of mine whose elderly mother is in in Dublin and goodness now must be in her 90s but she's hale and hearty uh, thank God. But for many years she took in third level students. Now she was in Dublin and was in an area where she was able to take in third level students. It was close to the uh, colleges and she reckoned it kept her young to have these students who would come. There was one student who had travelled from China who must have lived with her for nigh on four years. She became literally became part of the family but she said she loved the idea of having somebody like that uh, in the house with her. So it works for some people. Uh, Nancy, obviously it's something you don't think that would work for you but it certainly does work for some people and it is a suggestion uh, because they, you know, you can rent out a room and you can earn up to and this is for everyone, this is just for older people you can earn up to 14 
thousand euro. So you can rent out the room for over a thousand euro a month and you won't be taxed on it. And it certainly is for some people. It is a way of bringing extra income into the house. And just on the budget, because the reason that we had Age Action on is their suggestion that they think just to allow old age pensioners to stand still and maintain the level of income that they have at the moment, they need at least €23 of an increase in the budget next month. The top figure I've heard being banded about is €15. I think we can all accept that it certainly is going to be more than €5 a week for social welfare uh, recipients, which obviously would include uh, OAPs. 15 seems to be spoken about a lot, but Age Action are saying it needs to go higher for old age pensioners. It needs to go to €23 a week. We'll wait until the budget next month to find out exactly what that figure can be. But there's still lots of talk about what's going to be contained in next month's budget. And the one I'm reading about today is the emergency reduction in the fuel excise that's expected now to be extended well into next year. And this will all be part of what is now an €8 billion plus uh, budget day plans to ease the burden that the increased cost of living is having on all people, not just old age pensioners. It's having on every single person in this government, in in this country. Government sources are saying uh, that the near there is near certainty that the 20 cent per litre cut to petrol and wasn't it 15 cent per litre to diesel that is going to be extended in next month's budget and it will be extended until at least the spring of next year and the cut of 2 cent per litre on the green diesel also likely to be extended all part of a suite of measures that's been put in place this year to address the impact of inflation and of course we know inflation is now running at more than 9%. The reduction in excise has cut the cost of a 60 litre tank of petrol by 12 uh, euro if you get petrol and if it's diesel it is you're saving yourself 9 euro. The government is due to announce increased spending measures and tax cuts which which will total 6.7 million for next uh, year and they'll also announce a package of once-off measures. These are cost of living measures which some experts say could easily top two billion and it's those one-off cost of living living measures that uh, people are really waiting to see what is going to happen uh, there. I know the Justice Minister Helen McEntee just staying on the budget. She is trying to and is likely to secure funding for anything between 500 and 700 additional members of Angarda Siakona and the hope there is it'll bring the numbers of the force above 15,000 which I certainly know is what the Garda Commissioner is looking for and then under health funding to roll out nine extra respite facilities for people with disabilities as well as a number of further specialist respite services is also expected to be provided for in the budget. The Disabilities Minister Anne Rabbit she's pushing to get extra money to increase the opening hours of existing respite services but also she wants to provide at least one new respite service in each community health organisation and that will come if that comes to be I mean it will only be a drop in the ocean when you hear about the numbers of people looking for respite but it certainly will give help and comfort to some 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs 
John O'Driscoll, that's Motor Factors in Skibbereen. They've got a vacancy for a parts slash sales advisor. Training will be provided for the successful applicant CVs to johnjr.odriscoll at gmail.com. A canteen assistant is wanted for the school term in the Douglas area. It's four days per week from 8am to 2.45pm. HACCP cert is required. And you can email info at kcateringcork.ie. A ground supervisor is required for immediate start for domestic houses in North Cork. You must have experience in foundations, paths and pipeline. Email info at fitzgeorgeconstruction.ie. And a full-time stock controller is wanted at Glasslin Veterinary Practice. They're based in Bandham. CVs, please, to dcullinan at glasslinvets.ie. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie. Beira GAA and the Beira Senior Football County Championship winning team of 1997 have launched a fundraising drive to support the future education and needs of the children of the team's goalkeeper, Podrick Crowley, who is unfortunately battling cancer. Joining me with details, Donal O'Sullivan, who is the manager of the 1997 winning team and also uh, a neighbour of uh, Porrick. Good morning to Donal. Good morning, Patricia. And you, Thank you for having me on. Well, listen, you're very welcome. I suppose, firstly, how is Podrick doing at the moment? Actually, at, well, right at this moment, he's actually getting a little bit of a relief from the chemo treatment because um, he's got the use back of his left hand side and things, which makes it more, you know, more obviously more useful to him and his family, like because he's able to get around and you know dress himself and things like that, like which is very important, you know. And how long has he been battling cancer? Um. Two years. First of all, he had an operation in in in, in, in October in two twenty, and um, all went well. And it was a, a tumor in the in the in, in the brain, basically. And um, he had the first operation around two twenty, and all went according to plan. And then he um, he went was on the point of going back to work, etc., etc. And he, obviously, he got a relapse, and he had a second operation. And while it again it was successful in the sense that everything went according to plan, the prognosis is not good after the second operation. And um, look, you can never say never, but I know, I know. Like it's, 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 it's one of those situations where you know everybody is trying their best. And I suppose from our perspective, um, we 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 knew this was happening, and as part of a group. We decided that they're not trying country, but in some way. Oh, well done, well done. It's, it's a tough, tough journey uh, for the family, and particularly with uh, two young children and for his wife, uh, Gemma. And, and the children are so young. They're uh, James, I think, yeah, is eight. James and Molly, yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're only eight, eight and four. Eight and four. It's a tough, tough road for them. Talk to me then about um, Podrick, very much part of the GAA family in Beira. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, since a very young age, I remember he was playing under 12. With both Castellon and Vera, and um, one of his young, one of the mentors at that time would have been Connie Murphy, who still passed on, and John O'Sullivan, two very famous Vera men in their day. And um, they were, you know, they started by uh, Christian and Og here in Vera, are born in Og, and Michael Harrington, Mick Samus, he's known locally, started coaching Paul to be a goalkeeper from around that age, and um, he's played at every level basically from 
you know, with, with Castle Down and there at 12, 14, 16, minor, under 21, and senior. And um, he was on the Cork Junior panel in 2002 as well in Killarney. And basically, like, you know, he was um, he was a bit like myself, didn't want, didn't want to do too many laps in the field. So he, he, decided, <laughs> early, he decided early on that, you know, that he was going to pick his spot and no one was going to take it off him. And um, he became an expert goalkeeper, really. And like, I remember, like, that... Um, you know, they talked today about the Sharky coat and that sort of thing. The guys coach you at that stage had him picking out um, wing backs with their kick outs and things like that. Like, you know, so it wasn't just yesterday that this new clock to the era of Sharky coats was born. Um, and again, like, if it's like, and I remember I also got arrested and John Kearns was doing it with Cork as well around that time in the 19th second. So he was um, very adapt, likeable person. Um, first guy you'd pick up the phone to, and, and even when he was working in Cork and say, how many can you round up for a chance game on Wednesday night? He was always have the numbers for you and things like that. So, you know, he was a, a good... And most of all, people, you know, he's a family man. He's married with Jim Alvesby and two kids and his brothers and sisters all live around here as well. Like, and, um, you know, he's, as I said, he was, he, he was a, a fulcrum of the team. And, um, you know, it was... He, he unfortunately got injured in the county replay against Castlehaven in the 97. It is ACL, like that put him out of action for a year, but he appeared in three county finals in the Castle as well at immediate level. So, like, he's been part and part, part of the fabric of the GA circle in Beira for a long yeah, time. Absolutely, he's, he's Beira uh, true and true. And that win in 1997 was really special, Donald, wasn't it? it was, did I read somewhere it was the first in 30 years? That was right, Ed. Uh, the last one was 1967, so we hope the next month. <laughs> Won't be we might get lucky in the next couple of years and make a bold bid for it. Like, but um, it was it was unusual because um, well, it was it was in the making for three or four years, Patricia, and um, it just didn't happen overnight. Like, it was a, a lot of effort put in by a lot of people over a period of five or six years. Like, and um, like we had some very talented players, and I mean, you start mentioning names and they're here to get shot. But we had like the Kieran O'Sullivan, who was thing was a stalwart of the clock at that stage, and um, really good footballer, and Ali O'Sullivan. Um, was presently involved with the under twenties, and we had like Val O'Regan and the Harringtons and Seamus Spencer, all these guys like and Sean Welsh and Paddy Burnley and all this. I believe somebody else had the the crew. Yeah, and you said it yourself. Don't don't when you start on on the names. But I'm just I'm just thinking, what were the celebrations like? Did, did they? Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you like maybe people didn't know about this, but you see, there is a division couldn't go out on the. In the in the in the monster championship because divisional sides are not allowed out in in, in as a club like in the in the All Ireland series or the monster series, so we knew that when we won we could celebrate how we liked <laughs> the following year. So we 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 got a fundraising gig together and we raised a lot of money and um, believe it or not we we hired a private jet and flew to South of France, South of Spain for ten days celebration. So it was. We we spent a lot of money that we had raised, but we we enjoyed every moment. I can tell you. That's an incredible thing to do. Yeah, well, at the time, you know, it was very expensive, like to do the charters and stuff. Like yeah, we found out that, that we could do it. We could do it a lot cheaper. We had a great organising committee, so we raised funds for a long time, and we circulated a video that was made. We took a chance at the flying the wall documentary from the semi-final on, yeah, the final, and we made a video from LTV Productions and McCroom, and so we were able to flog that around the world because we'd have a lot of expats all over it's just like now raising money for yeah for Padraig like we have um, a committee of about 50 or 60 people helping this in this um, you know fundraising and we have them in America in England isn't that brilliant in Cork isn't that so, brilliant 
I suppose we, we, we're taking this opportunity, but it's really like to sort of say that, look, we're going to reach out to the clubs in Cork, in particular the football clubs. And, um, you know, hopefully they'll buy a book of tickets. There's some very good prizes in there. Yeah, no, that just yeah, because we we need to focus on the fundraising. There's a, there's a yeah. raffle that's going to happen on the October Bank Holiday weekend. That's correct, and the tickets are priced at ten ten euros each. They can be got either through the clubs or through Bearsga.ie, um, on either on the website, Facebook or Instagram, and we're going we're putting posters up around the county as well. And there's a, a QR code on each one that will link them into buying a ticket online, and if not. We can be, they can be contacted through the Bear, Bear GA. But we are going to circulate a book to each of the football clubs in, in the county where we have a lot of contacts, obviously. And hopefully they'll buy a book. The book is 300 for the 30 tickets, but it's at 10, 10 euros each. So people no, might buy them individually rather than the club buying them. Yeah, like so. yeah. And listen, the, the, the GAA family are always great when one of their own ah. needs a bit of a helping hand. They're, they're always there. And, and the very fact that you're doing it online as well. The you know the diaspora around the world, I think, yeah, are really so are really going to reach out on this one. We, well, I think so. Yeah, bit of the dog like, and I think that um, you know we have a, a, a golf classic on the 15th, 16th, and 17th of September in in Berryhaven Park Golf Club, which is in Castletown Bear, and the golf club kindly donated as free of charge. And um, look, we could have gone away higher at the price. We wanted people to enjoy themselves as well, so we're running a team that's sixty euros a team, which is only twenty per, per head, like yeah. for teams of three, and they can sponsor a green or a tea box for fifty euros each. And we're going to have a good night that night as well, and hopefully that we might get part of we able to attend as well on that night. Be on great. Saturday night. It'll be and, great. Um, generally speaking, then like it's been sponsored by Kieran O'Sullivan of Bear Isle. And so he's donating all the prizes. So a lot of people are putting a lot of effort into this. It's not just a few people. There's 50 or 60 people at least involved in, 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 in organising this. Like, so a great credit must be due to the Bureau Board as well because they wrote in fantastically well, the chairman, Michael, Michael Murphy and Joey Blake, secretary, and all the guys involved in the board. Fantastic. Well, it's showing the high regard that Podrick is is held in for sure, that so many people want to help out and are willing to help out. Listen, pass on our best wishes uh, to Podrick and to Gemma and to the kids. And if we can be of any use in advertising any up and coming other events that you're having, Donald, let us know. We'd be only too glad and we're here to help you in any way we can. Thanks a million, Patricia. We really appreciate the, the, the help and the effort. Thanks a million. Our pleasure. Thank Thanks for that. Johnny Green. Okay, we'll do. He's an old school mate. He, oh, is he? He's a, he's a great man. Listen, thanks Hello. for that, Donald. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Donald O'Sullivan, who was the Bearer winning manager in 1997. So Bearer, particularly if you'd like to get tickets for that raffle that's happening in October and continue good health to uh, Podrick Crowley, who the fundraising is all about. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now a Cork musician is to bring her rather unique duff box, which is a donkey box transformed into a gig venue and she's going to use it to play for children in direct provision centres. To find out more, Anya Duffy joins me. Good morning to Anya. Hi, how are you? I'm, uh, well, I'm very well. Now, you've got, <laughs> you have to start by explaining your duff box. Describe <laughs> it to us. And I believe it came about because of the pandemic. Yeah, 
So the story goes, musician in the pandemic, as you can imagine, is, isn't easy. And I had a single to release and I had made a video and given the teddy bears from the video to the direct provisions. So that's another little coincidence. But I, so I just decided I would figure out a way to get live music out to people because people were kind of feeling depressed and unhappy and I know what music could bring and I could also release that single. So I found an old donkey box and went on a mission. Because at the time, horse boxes were being used a lot. I think I've just lost Anya. I think her phone line has just gone kerplunk. OK, let's see if we can get Anya back because she really has a great story to tell. And while we're waiting to get Anya uh, back on, um, somebody was talking about uh, old age pensioners and they might consider renting out a room to somebody. that would be a way of getting some income into the house and how you can earn up to 14,000. Anybody can by renting out a room Obviously, it's a lot to do with the housing crisis and that it, you don't get taxed on it. Somebody is saying, if I was to rent out a room, would, uh, or if somebody was to rent out a room, would they, would they lose their living alone allowance? And I've done a quick check. I imagine that they would because to be living alone, you have to be living, completely living alone. Now, there are some ex- ex- um, uh, exceptions, like if you have somebody staying over at night for security reasons and all of that. I know when they were trying to encourage people to g- give up a room to for the Ukrainian refugees I know one of the things that was clarified that if you had the living alone allowance and you allowed a refugee to come into your house you wouldn't lose your living alone allowance but I imagine if you rent out a room on a full time basis yes you would lose your living alone allowance but as somebody has pointed out the living alone allowance is €22 Euro a year so you earn a little over 1100 whereas if you rent out a room you could earn 14000 so you'd make up what you would lose Anya's back I'm told fingers crossed her phone line doesn't <laughs> drop I don't know what happened there you were just expi- sure. yeah, you were explaining about you found the, uh, the, the, the donkey box and I was making the point that during lockdown, a lot of horse boxes were converted. Yeah. So is that where kind of the idea came from? Um, well, to be honest with you, I loved doing camper vans anyway. And I had just built myself a little house during lockdown as well. So I had a few bits left over. And I liked the idea of building and renovating and turning things up. So I wanted to find something. I wasn't quite sure what I'd find as long as I could move it. And then I saw the donkey box and away I was on a hack. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, I didn't even know that there's a, there is a, is there a difference? There obviously is a difference between a donkey box and a horse box, is there? Yeah, um, it's small. Okay. It's not very big. All right. It's big enough to make a big impact. Okay. <laughs> so, so what condition was your donkey box in? Um, there was a frame and there was some size. <laughs> so, and, so I just basically had to, you know, put more the sides in, finish off the insides. I put a new floor in, reinforced the backstage. Got you know, the back door is the stage. Sorry, the one that pulls down is is where I I perform from. And then I also had some people donate me some lights and stuff like that, and you know a, a beer fridge. Even though I don't be drinking while I'm on the road at all, but it says stuff beer, so it's funny. But people donate things, and and um and it's been really fun. I, there's just to see people's smiles on their faces. I had a lot of material and some people gave me some stuff that they didn't need and it went from strength to strength and now it's uh, a fun... Yeah, it's bringing a lot of joy. And did you do many gigs in your duff box during the pandemic? Oh, yeah. Did you? 
So I had, I got another, um, so I, I, I did a, a GoFundMe first. It was the first one I had ever done. So I did a GoFundMe and and then I started booking up the gigs. So I was all over the place. I was in Alahees and I was I was even up in Dublin on Ireland AM. It's been on, it's been up in Clonmel two weekends ago. It's, and then, it, yeah, I've been all over the place. Garrett's Town, you name it, really. Bandon, the whole shebang. So you just took up the... The duff yeah. box to the back of the car or whatever you're driving. Yep. Back and off, my van. Back and off I go. <laughs> and then, and then to drop out the back door. That's your stage. Yep. And plug that's in and, and away you go. Yeah. It's, Fantastic. It really doesn't take that long. You'd be surprised. It's, these are kind of, like, I have everything with me now. And I, I have a PA system as well. That's what I did to go fund me for. To have a light, easy to carry PA system that I could plug everything into, you know. And so, and you now you, and so your plan now is to go to the direct provision centres. Yeah, yeah. So that was I, I really wanted to do something else. I wanted to, you know, I mean, it's not a new thing. It's not just in Ukraine that we've had refugees and the whole shebang. So I just want some of them to feel some of the joy that we've all been feeling, you know, uh, from the Duff Box. It brought a lot of fun. And in the pandemic, there were some children hadn't seen live music. They were mm. like, this is live music, or this is a girl. And, and you know, they were they were super excited. And I, I saw many shapes being thrown by children. It was fantastic, all ages together. So I just thought this would be a great time to go out and try and bring, bring a bit of joy to their faces. It's still not easy. I know everyone is, you know, saying, oh, but they get this or they get that but I just would like if Ireland if it, if something ever happened in Ireland you know that, that they'd be people would look after after yeah, them listen, in another country listen, and, and I know people talk about oh they seem to be getting everything and we don't look after the I Irish don't nobody wants to be in that position nobody wants no. to have to flee no your home no. and be a refugee no. in, 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 any co- in any country. So well done no. to you for bringing a bit of joy. You're going to go to Drishan in Mill Street next week, I isn't am. it? I am. Yeah, I'm going to go there on Thursday and then I'm going, and then after that I'm heading off to Clannacilty. I'm also heading to Mallow to a girls' school. I think there's maybe 600, 600 of them as far as I know. St Mary's, is it? Same, yeah, St um, Mary's Convent School. I have it written down, thank Goodness. So, oh, St. Goodness. Okay, it's yeah, primary yeah. school you're going to. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. And that's uh, that's to welcome them back to school, is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it should be off. I was going to do it um, at the end of the, at the end of their school year, but you know, it didn't it was come tricky. about. Okay. So well, do, and did you did you manage to get some of the funding from Cork County Council? This, and this, I yeah. got it for this. I got it for a series of pop up last summer. Now it was. I mean, I'm so grateful. They talk you through it. They really help you with, you know, sometimes paperwork can be daunting for an artist. You go, oh, but they talk you through it. And, and and they're just, it was amazing, really, you know. The Cork County Council Arts Department are amazing. And that went from them and from the Department of Tourism, Culture, Sports, Arts and Media. So the two of them teamed up together, have put out this LLPPS and it was for putting out on performances. And there was loads of them. They called it the Cork uh, Cocoa Pops. Mm. And, and so this is their next round of it. Yeah. So, you know, we're very grateful. To and them, it's just really. to help me. I mean, you know, I've, I've how many times I've made the statement about your industry. You were the first to close down any of the entertainment yeah. and the first to close down and the last to get back on, on your feet. I had a gig cancelled. I was meant to be playing in Belgium a couple of weeks ago and 
they had COVID in the venue. I was already booked to land in Amsterdam and travel down. Still you know, affecting. So still, yeah. It's, yeah. it's still there. Like, yeah, that's yeah, why it I'm hasn't. still doing outdoor things and, and being somewhat cautious. I want people to feel comfortable as well, you know. Yeah, because there are also people who are nervous of going in indoors uh, to, to a venue. So are you are you back doing a lot of local gigs, Sonia, now? Um, I, well, I have this series set up now and I've, uh, and then what I really want to do is to write some music. I never have a minute to just slip away. So I'm go- going to try and write an, um, a full album then as well. Take some time out for that. And did I read with, we, we know, as everybody knows, we have an accommodation uh, crisis, that it's yeah. affecting, and this is something I hadn't thought about, visiting musicians coming to Ireland to gig yeah. are finding yeah, yeah. problems getting accommodation. It's not just the visiting ones, like. I mean, you take it there, a band from Cork wants to go up and play, or from Tip or anywhere, I'm just saying Cork, because, you know, we're here now, but they want to go up to Dublin and, and play their gig. It's, you know, I think it would have even worked out better for me to go to other countries. You know, <laughs> you won't play. get a con- you won't get accommodation in, in Dublin. Ah, so you you uh, you like. have an idea for a camper van? I'd love to upgrade the duff box to the duff bus. You know, okay, and and see if there is a way I can. Now I have to figure it all out. There's always like this. You have to be a CIA agent these days <laughs> to figure stuff out. Like, but I I'd love to figure it out if I could make some form of a campery bus that people could rent out for artists or if there is a band coming in. It's happening everyone, even the like Board Gas Theatre had it out there on the newspaper. They were all looking for people to put up the artists, you know. But sure, well, I've heard of, of more people wanting to go to a gig in, in Dublin, some of the larger uh, concerts and they've ended up having to sell on their tickets because they literally oh, yeah. couldn't get accommodated. And I mean, the, the one big one everyone was talking about was the Bruce Springsteen concerts next year. Yeah. The, the guy who worked out it's cheaper for him to fly to Italy, for himself and the wife oh. to go to Italy, pay for the flight, overnight accommodation, buy the tickets, go Unreal. to the gig um, and come home then to try and get accommodation in Dublin. I mean, it's just... It's a heartbreak. I know I did the yeah. same. Me and a few friends were wanting to see Fat Freddy's drop for years and then they were going to Dublin and we couldn't get this and figure it out and we ended up seeing them in Amsterdam. Yeah. But I don't want to be doing that either. No, I want to no. be able to play at home as a musician. I want to be able to keep going. But it can be tricky just for small things like that. But, you know, there is ways, I mean... There is ways around it. That's the thing. It's just that it's really frustrating for me because I've built a little house and I want everyone to have a house, whoever we are. And it's easy to, you can do it with less environmental impact, you know. But things are just too complicated. Yeah, and they're tough at the moment for for a lot of people. So at least you're going to bring some joy, particularly to the children in in direct provision. You you just touched on it and you sort of breezed over it very quickly. Tell me what you did with the teddy bears. Yeah, so I had I had a I made a video. It's called I'll Wear White, and I had teddy bears in the video, and you can see the video online. It's easy to find, and I had used teddy bears in the video, and then I had put it out on my Facebook page. If anybody got some teddy bears, I need them for a video. So of course, loads of people had them, <laughs> so they were clearing out, and I, you know, I had. A contact and ask and we got on to someone else and like it was serious lockdown then so I had 
received loads and loads of teddy bears and then a lockdown came. I was like, how am I going to get them to them? But I did. So I got way too many extra teddy bears. <laughs> so you could, they could see their teddy bears in the video then as well, you know. And so you donated them all to... to I did. They're all... They, were, they all went into the direct provision. Yeah. But it was, you know, tricky to get in there at the time. And I know, I, I know. I felt like there wasn't anything... I don't know, I didn't feel like I was doing enough and in some regards because what, what can you do, you know? So I know what I can do. You can bring sing. a bit of fun. Yeah, you yeah. can sing and play music. And every child needs a teddy bear as well. I think that was one of the images yeah. of the children coming over the border in Ukraine. And yeah. they all hanging on to their teddy bear for dear life. Aww. It was their, their little bit of home with them. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well done. Well done. You're incredible. Continued uh, good luck to you and your musical career. Um, on thanks you. a million. And, I really appreciate and, it. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Good morning. Good bye. morning. Anya uh, Duffy there uh, joining us from uh, West Cork, bringing joy to the children of direct provision. Mill Street next week. And then she goes to Connacilty. And then she's coming to a primary school in at Mallow. 0818103103. John Paul's taking your calls. A reminder to you that it is Wednesday. That means Peter Dowdell will be joining us in the next hour. I can already see some questions are coming in for Peter Dowdell. Keep those uh, coming in, uh, please. You can call John Paul with questions or you can text or WhatsApp me to 0862103103. And of course, also in the next hour, besides Peter joining us, uh, we also one of our listeners. Uh, hope you're feeling lucky today in with the chance of winning a pair of tickets to go to see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House in October, plus a 100 euro Greens restaurant voucher, because all this week, your chance to win with Specsavers Hearing. Now, they're celebrating Ireland's reopening by giving tickets to great events and experience. And Specsavers, of course, have expert audiologists in uh, all of their local Specsaver stores. And so in the next hour, I'll play a clip of Tommy Tiernan. John Paul has bleeped out one of the words in the sentence from Tommy. You've got to work out what the missing word is. And then we'll be getting you to text or WhatsApp your answer into 0862 103 103. We'll do that in the next hour. Specsavers Audiology, bringing back the sounds you missed the most. Thank you to Mary in Bantry. On to us about scam texts. Uh, we were only talking about this yesterday on the programme. Smishing, as they're called, SMS texts that are out and out scams. Mary says, uh, Patricia, would you please warn people that the scam text claiming to be from the HSC uh, telling you you're a close contact for COVID-19 and to click on the link. They're doing the rounds again. People, please be aware. Mary got one this morning. Uh, she got on to us to, so that we could let the listeners know, but she also informed the uh, HSE, who I think are sick to the teeth of seeing this particular text doing the rounds. You're not going to get a text from the HSE. As far as I know, I mean, there's no... Back in the day when COVID first started, yes, there was calls going out to people to say that they've been uh, close contact, but you certainly will not get a text from the HSE telling you that you've been in close contact of uh, COVID-19. So if you get one of those texts, just delete it immediately and do not click on the link. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Looking for your gardening questions for Peter, please. We're going to take a break. We've news at 12 midday on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 
all this week we have teamed up on the programme giving you a chance to win with Specsavers Hearing they're celebrating Ireland's reopening with tickets to great events and experience and we have tickets to get you to see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House in October for you and a friend that's not all you're also getting a 100 euro Greens restaurant voucher. I've got an audio clip from Tommy Tiernan and you've got to try and work out what is the missing word. In which people of perhaps the previous generation and maybe this generation too. I was just about to play the wrong one. That's the one with the word. Hang on until we let that one go. John Paul would have murdered me. Let me go back again and let me press the right one this time. In which people of perhaps the previous generation and maybe this generation too, overly authority, uh, authority that the church and that the banks took. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Let's listen to that one again. What, what is the word that has been beeped out from this sentence? In which people of perhaps the previous generation and maybe this generation too, overly authority, uh, authority that the church and that the banks took. That's hard, isn't it? Okay, you've got to try and work out. If you know what that missing word is, I need you to send me the word along with your name and address and you WhatsApp it or text it to 0862103103. Will I play it again? I will. Which people of perhaps the previous generation and maybe this generation too, overly authority, uh, authority that the church and that the banks took. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Uh, well done, John Paul. That really is a hard one uh, today. If you think you know what the word is, I need you to send in the word along with your name and address uh, by text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. One, we'll make a draw from all of the correct answers and somebody will be winning a pair of tickets to go see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House in October and the €100 Euro Greens restaurant voucher. Specsavers, by the way, they've got expert audiologists in your local Specsavers store and Specsavers audiology bringing back the sounds you missed the most. In which people of perhaps the previous generation and maybe this generation too overly authority uh, authority that the church and that the banks took Text and WhatsApp only, please. Now, while we are waiting on our winner for today, some of your calls and comments coming into the programme. Jim says, Patricia, I've just got my gas bill. Uh, the standard charge, €34.27. VAT, €7.32. Carbon charge, €4.54. That's a grand total of €45.13. My unit cost, €52.47. So my total gas bill, €88.60. Why on earth do I have to pay standard charges, VAT and carbon charges? Would I have to pay the standard charge if I used no gas at all? Ponders our Jim. And unfortunately, Jim, yes. If you decided to use absolutely no gas at all, the very fact that you have the gas in your home, you would be charged the standard uh, charge. You'd have the carbon tax. The VAT, obviously, uh, would be less because the VAT is up, will be on the unit uh, price. Uh, but yeah, it's those standard charges drive absolutely everybody bonkers. It's one of the kind of the most annoying uh, things that we all and we all have to pay, have to pay it. 0818 103 103. I was talking about the budget and various things that have been mentioned that are going to be that is possibly going to be included in next month's budget. Somebody has a suggestion. Put up all the drink in the off license. 
<laughs> I wonder how that will go down with uh, some. Hi, Patricia. I saw those horses in Killarney that somebody was worried about last week with the Jarvies and the heat, uh, etc. I saw them. They were washed down after, with cold water between trips. There is more fuss over every animal than there are over homeless people in this country. Oh, and on live exports, they are very regulated in this country. So that all those animals are extremely well cared for and they're watched over by the Department of Agriculture very well. And therefore, live exports should continue. And that's directly responding to somebody who reckoned that uh, the people who were given out about the wild goat last week in Puck should be more in their line to be given out about live experts. This listener disputing that and says that the, the animals in live experts are well looked after. 0818103103. We mentioned refugees when I was talking with Anya Duffy and the work, well, the work she's going to be doing and she's aiming her hers at people in direct provision. The Ukrainian refugees are obviously here under a, a very, very, for a very different reason and are not in direct provision but they are very much here as uh, refugees and somebody's saying what's happening with the refugees and has their accommodation situation been sorted out? Well, it hasn't and I know the Department of Integration have now told the Ukrainian refugees the ones that are going to have to leave student accommodation that the next place they are moving to may not be in the same location and they're also being told told they will may not be of similar standard to what they've been used to when they've been living in the student accommodation. Thousands of Ukrainians who came to this uh, country since the Russian invasion have been uh, housed in student accommodation and particularly anyone arrived from probably the end of May onwards because that's when the third level student accommodation became available and certainly throughout the summer that's where a lot of Ukrainian refugees have been staying but of course the students are due to return for the next academic year in the coming weeks so the department now desperately scrambling to try to find alternative sources of accommodation for their families. Now at various stages since the refugees started coming to this country there has been temporary accommodation I mean it's included, remember at one stage there was refugees staying at the old Dublin airport terminal building. We've, I don't know if we still have but we certainly have had refugees staying at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin the government have reached out to all of the public bodies around the country they've reached out to sports organisations organisations, religious orders asking for help in housing refugees and in a notice for Ukrainian refugees and student accommodation, the Department of Integration said it's now working with other departments and with local authorities and with accommodation providers to try to make the move as easy and efficient as possible. But the problem is that for, say, for example, a lot of the refugees who would be staying in Cork City in the student uh, accommodation, many of those have been told, you know, they might be shipped to Dublin if they can't find accommodation for them here uh, in Cork. And I know for some of them, I know for... For instance, I know one young woman is, I think she's, um, I heard her speak on the radio and I've seen her in, in interviewed in newspapers. She's like 33 weeks pregnant and she's obviously, you know, very scared about the upcoming birth or whatever. And she would be attending the services of the Cork University Maternity Hospital. She could end up in Dublin and, you know, not having to again get to meet and get to know, you know, a whole new host of midwives and gynaecologists and she'd love to stay in the Cork area but they can't guarantee that they can find her a place to stay. So there is a lot of work going on to try to find now alternative accommodation. I think there's probably 4,000 odd 
who are staying in student accommodation that have to be rehomed in the coming uh, weeks. And then you have the families in this country who said that they had either a room in their house or they had an empty property that they would be willing to use to accommodate Ukrainians fleeing the war. Some of those families now we're hearing about are struggling to meet the requirements um, that you need to have in order to house the Ukrainians. Figures released by local authorities show that most accommodation pledges have been withdrawn after those who pledged the houses were contacted to fulfil the pledges. However, the figures don't show the full picture because it seems some people have offered accommodation. Then when they were contacted, they were told a lot of red tape involved, either the house wasn't suitable for whatever uh, reason, and therefore that was put down as a withdrawn. And there's a woman in the paper by the name of Joan Gallagher. She is living in a place called Ransborough in County Sligo. She's very frustrated because they have a house that she would love to offer to a Ukrainian family. But she was told on inspection that the house would need to have an electrical report, an oil report. She'd have to install vents in all of the bedrooms and the living rooms and it would work out costing about a thousand euro. Now, she said she was willing to do the work that was needed, willing to pay for it. She wasn't even looking for the government to give her the €1,000. But she said her problem is she can't find a tradesman willing to take on the job. And of course, if anyone lately has been looking for a tradesman, you'll know that there are labour shortages and that's causing difficulties for people who have properties. But there's a bit of work needs to be done to bring it up to the standard that's needed by the local authority in order to house uh, Ukrainian refugees. And I was reading in the examiner this morning that figures released to the examiner from the local authorities show that a high number of pledges are not meeting the either not meeting the requirements or the people have changed their minds. But for the ones not meeting the requirements, I was talking to somebody over the weekend in West Cork and they had they knew of accommodation. But because it wasn't on a bus route, even though people locally would have been more than willing to if the Ukrainian family had moved in to offer them lifts wherever they needed to go. But because there wasn't a bus route that offer had to be withdrawn as well. And then a breakdown of the figures for Cork City and uh, County of the 623 shared accommodation pledges. And this is people saying, I've got a bedroom, I've two bedrooms in my house, I will be willing to take uh, refugees. 623 were referred to Cork County Council by the department. 229 were withdrawn. 116 have engaged with the council and the remainder are being contacted. That's another sense of frustration by people saying I'm still waiting to be contacted. And then 237 vacant properties. They were referred by the department to Cork County Council. 173 could either not be contacted or had been withdrawn. But as I say, could be withdrawn because they weren't on a bus route or that they couldn't get somebody in to install vents in the bedroom. Um, And of the remaining 64, Cork County Council have carried out 36 inspections to date. 32 properties have been assessed as suitable and the remaining inspections are ongoing. And then looking to Cork City Council, the Department of Housing say that they have details of 43 vacant properties but just one remained available and was suitable. 167 shared accommodation pledges were referred to the City Council and around 60 were deemed uh, suitable after filtering through the system. So there are people trying to give uh, homes uh, but for whatever reason they have been forced to uh, withdraw them. And it is getting to quite a desperate situation now 
with the university accommodation being needed for the university students. So I don't know what the the simple, uh, there, there isn't a simple solution for sure. And I know internal government Government figures are estimating that 48,000 Ukrainians will have arrived in this country by the end of this month. Now, the official sources are saying that there has been a recent tapering off of uh, arrivals, but uh, there are still a number of people arriving and they reckon by the end of this month, it'll be at about 48,000 refugees uh, looking for uh, refuge. And anyone, by the way, that has taken in a Ukrainian refugee, just to let you know that payments, there's about 1,600 people who have offered rooms and vacant properties, that the payments that were promised by the government now have commenced. This is the €400 monthly payment for taking in a one of the war refugees. They've started to pay those. Deleem O'Dwyer, Secretary of the Irish Red Cross, and he said that he expected the figure of 1,600 people who are being off, who will be getting that payment. He's expecting that number to shoot up over the next month as more Ukrainians move out of the third level accommodation and move into rooms and properties pledged by families. I mean, then what they're now banking on is that the refugees staying in the student accommodation, oh, I've just seen the figure, 4,500 are in student accommodation. They're expecting that many of those now will hopefully go in and stay with uh, families. And also just on um, sort of the longer term of where the refugees will go, it has been confirmed that Thurless in County Tipperary is to host a modular housing scheme for Ukrainian refugees. The government have confirmed that these modular homes are to be, they're being built in Thurless, but they're also going to be built in Cavan, Fingal in Dublin, in Kildare and also in Cork City. And the government say these homes will be energy efficient, they'll be durable units and they reckon they'll have about a 60 year lifespan. And that's not to say that the Ukrainian refugees will be living there for 60 uh, years. They'll stay there for as long as they are needed. And then obviously when the Ukrainians return home, when the war is over and their country is safe to return to those modular homes then obviously will become available to people in Ireland who need accommodation. 0818103103 John Paul taking your uh, calls. Yeah, you can text or WhatsApp to 0862103103. You can stop texting us on our competition with Specsavers. We'll let John Paul select our winner there. And then we'll free up the text message service so that we can take your gardening questions from Peter. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. An exhibition entitled Souls of Our Shoes is on in the west wing of the Carrick Centre in Ballancolic. It's in place for the month of August. It aims to highlight the stories of people who've experienced physical or emotional abuse. And the doors open daily from 10am to 4pm. And a temporary exhibition entitled Bail de Blau, The Local Story, will open at the Independence Museum in Kilmurray. And it is actually it opened last uh, Friday and it runs through until Sunday, the 4th of September. There will be a bus tour retracing the route taken by the Collins Convoy through Kilmurray, Newcestown and Ovens. Tickets are €20. Euro. And if you would like to book 021-733-6932. And Mallow Golf Club, they're holding their annual golf classic 
from Thursday of next week, the 25th of August through to the 27th. It's to raise funds for the development of the club and course. Teams of three golfers, please, €120, including your meal. And the tea box sponsorship is €50. A Nooses Town Festival is taking place across this week with a week of activities including Bob Bog the Donkey, Road Bowling, a tournament, a family fun day, a world record attempt for the largest gathering of people named Michael Collins. That's taking place on the 21st to celebrate the uh, centenary of Michael Collins' death and that will be held in Town Village. Uh, there will be a ceremony also in Bailnablaw. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie and just on Jim, who got his gas bill uh, yesterday and is nearly half of his gas bill is made up uh, between standing charges, VAT and carbon tax. It comes to €45.13 and his unit cost was 52.47. So nearly half of it on uh, standard charge charges. And he's just saying, if I don't even use the gas at all, still have to pay the standing charge very annoyed by that um, Hi Patricia just listening to Jim talking about the standard charge I also agree I think it's a disgrace why can't these standing charges be simply abolished I'm blue in the face in saying stop all these one-off payments that they're talking about um, talking about introducing more of them in the budget they really don't help with the cost of living as they're only picking out and helping out certain sectors of uh, society or it seems to be those that shout the loudest Please, can we have a fairer society for everyone, says this uh, texter, who won't be too uh, pleased to hear if they're against the one-off payments. The one-off payments are the things uh, like they're talking about increasing the fuel allowance and they might be, uh, I'm paying uh, one-off uh, double child benefit to help out families. They're also talking about the electricity credit that they gave to everyone. They're talking about doing that again as a one-off and various other, I think it's about £2 billion they reckon could be included in the budget for one-off things. This listener reckons that's not fair because it doesn't help everybody in society and the person not too pleased uh, with that. 0818 103 103 uh, No, I'm waiting on I'll wait on John Paul for that one. Oh, I just want to give a quick mention uh, for fear the programme is gone, particularly when people were talking about the, the puck goat earlier on and wild animals and how much do we know about wild animals and somebody was critical saying that uh, people are uh, talking about wild animals and they know little or nothing about wild animals. I was thrilled to read that uh, the much-loved nature lover and broadcaster David Attenborough is going to present what's been described as an extraordinary animal drama and wildlife spectacle across Ireland and Britain. And it's in a brand new series for the BBC. It is a five-part natural history series and it is going to be entitled Wild Isles. And it aims to emulate what the Planet Earth series did for the wildlife of the world. And anyone that saw David Attenborough's Planet Earth, it's the most spellbinding programme. And to watch wildlife in their natural environment was just absolutely incredible. And this new programme plans to do the same thing and he's hoping that it inspires people to safeguard and restore nature and to do it for future generations. Now, seemingly, it's been filmed over the last three years. It's a BBC One series. It was shot using 4K technology and it will explain the challenges that nature faces 
and what can be done to make our wild isles wilder into the future. David Attenborough, would you believe, is 96 years of age and he says in in his long lifetime, he's travelled to almost every corner of the planet and he said, I can assure you that in Britain and Ireland, as well as astounding scenery, he said there are extraordinary animal dramas and wildlife spectacles to match anything he's seen on any of his global travels around the world. The series will have firstly uh, an introductory episode which will explain why Britain and Ireland are globally important for nature. And then the remaining four one hour long episodes will celebrate the island's four key habitats. So they'll have one on woodlands, they'll have one on grasslands, one on freshwater and then one on marine life. They'll show, for example, gulls stealing fish from puffins, wild horses battling for the attention of females. They'll also show blue fin tuna gathering in our waters, black grouse and hen harriers courting. They'll also show red deer stags rushing in one of Ireland's wildest corners. Now, the series was cap- will capture the Irish and British countryside. They've used aerial photography. They've also, what David Attenborough, any of his shows are famous for, the motion-controlled time-lapse lapse photography and obviously that time lapse photography is brilliant because it highlights all of the passing seasons which is uh, always incredible to watch. They'll use low light cameras and obviously that will reveal what happens during the night uh, we'll, they look at animal favourites, they look at macro photography which uncovers the really miniature worlds in rock pools and ponds and in grasslands and the World Wildlife Fund for Nature, WWF they're co-producing the series They say the aim is that this stunning series will inspire people to take action to safeguard and restore nature for future generations. I, for one, cannot wait to see that programme. Now, as soon as we get dates and times of when it is to be broadcast, I certainly will bring it to you. But to hear the great man himself, David Attenborough, say that, you know, outside of we all know we've astonishing scenery uh, in uh, this country. He also reckons that the extraordinary animal dramas and the wildlife that he got to see, it matches anything he's seen in any of his global uh, travels. So we'll keep a lookout for that. And it's called Wild Isles. It'll be on the BBC, the latest from David Attenborough. And you imagine at 96, is this surely this five part natural history series has got to be one of his last and and if it is how incredible that Ireland and Britain will feature in it 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp we in particular are looking for your your gardening questions please for Peter Dowdle because Peter Dowdle the Irish gardener will be joining us in a couple of minutes so if you have a question for Peter get it into us and I do have a winner of our competition with Tommy Tiernan and I can see there was a lot of wrong answers on this will I play it for you in its entirety in which people of perhaps the previous generation and maybe this generation too overly respected authority uh, authority that the church and that the banks took 
respected was the word that we were missing. A lot of you got it right. Fair juice, Jill. A lot got it wrong as well. But we put all of the correct answers into a hat. And Linda Kelleher in Middleton is our winner for today. Congratulations to you, uh, Linda. You've won a pair of tickets to go see Tommy Tiernan live at the Cork Opera House along with a friend and you will get a €100 Greens restaurant voucher. Specsavers have expert audiologists in their local, in all of their local Specsavers stores and Specsavers Audiology bringing back the sounds you've missed the most. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Another audio clip from uh, Tommy Tiernan coming your way on Cork Today tomorrow. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Peter Dowd of the IrishGardener.com joining us on this Wednesday afternoon and very different to the weather that we had last Wednesday. Good afternoon to you, Peter. It's it's more typical Irish weather, I think, Trish, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And you did say last week not to worry about the, the grass, particularly the lawns that were getting very scorched uh, looking. You can already see they've greened up uh, with the bit of rain we've had for the last few days. Yeah, and we haven't had that much rain down here, but even just the moisture in the environment, it's it, yeah, and the drop in temperatures, they, they, they are very forgiving and lawns are very, very resilient. Now, I'm not sure if you're living in the UK, uh, if you were living over in England and where it hit 40 degrees and they've had a much longer period of, of intense heat, I, I'm not sure how well they're going to, to all bounce back, but it'll be interesting to see it. But certainly, certainly the lawns here uh, have, have will, will bounce back and are, as you say, already coming back to life in front of our eyes. Yeah, OK, let's get straight into questions. Jerry Newmarket, and we did send on these pictures in time uh, to uh, Peter. Uh, Jerry has sent us in pictures of uh, this long red robin hedge. Uh, do I cut it? Do I trim it? Do I do it severely? It's very well established as they're about 10 years uh, uh, advice, please. It just looks like it's getting a bit out of control in the space. It does, and I've seen the pictures, and it's actually a lovely looking hedge. It's a nicely established hedge, uh, she's right, but uh, it will benefit from some pruning. I wouldn't prune it back severely, no. So firstly, you're not allowed to prune it back still uh, until we get into September under the Wildlife Protection Act, so don't touch it yet for another few weeks. But sometime during September, cut it back, um, but I wouldn't cut it back too severely because we're at the, obviously we're coming into the, the, the slow time of the year in terms of growth, but give it a trim. Um, and what I would do then is come, let's say, early next March, uh, give it a, a, a kind of a tighter haircut then. And, that you know, you can go a bit more severe on it then. And that will thicken it up then into a really, really dense hedge once again. OK, and just stay on hedges because Kieran in Cork has been on to us to say, hi, I need a bit of privacy. What is the fastest growing big shrub or hedging that you can suggest? It's kind of be careful what you wish for on this one for Kieran because the fastest growing, it doesn't just stop growing when it's reached the height that you want it, you know. <laughs> so you, 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 you maybe you do want the fastest growing, but but maybe you want, to, like you, you have two ways of approaching it. So the answer to the question, I would say your quickest growing evergreen hedge that kind of does what it says in the tin, if you like, is, is common laurel. 
uh, laurel is a very, very quick growing, dense evergreen hedge. And maybe that's what you want and look no further. The, the reason I'm saying maybe and I'm not 100% in it is because with that, with anything quick growing comes high level of maintenance, obviously. So you will have to, when it is giving you the screening that you want, uh, you'll then have to maintain it so that it doesn't take over completely. Um, now, he doesn't say in the question there what height he needs screening at, uh, but laurel would be one certainly to look at. But the other way to approach it is, and this always becomes a budget issue then, Trish, you mightn't want a quick growing. Like if you get a slow growing hedge, it is by its very nature then low maintenance. But obviously, if you get a slow growing hedge, that's only six inches high. It'll take years to give you the screening. But you can uh, buy a ready grown hedge at what, pretty much whatever height you want, depending on what you're willing to spend. Do you know, so let's say, for example, uh, an eight foot quick growing hedge such as laurel, you might get a 20 or 30, 40 euros a plant, whereas an eight foot uh, slow growing hedge like a, a Tuya or one of the Aeliagnus or something could cost you a few hundred euros a plant, but you don't have the maintenance issues. So it, it depends what way you want to look at it. But the, the answer to the straight answer to the question, I'd, I'd go for common laurel as a quick growing evergreen hedge. Okay. Um, oh, and there was a lovely message in from Breathe in Mallow who took your advice last week and just wants to say thank you to you and that she went down on her hands and knees and she scraped out all the weeds between the slabs in her patio. She said, I couldn't, wouldn't use a deadly weed, weed killer. She had put that question in last week and you had suggested to just get down there and pull out all the weeds and she's it all done. So well done. God uh, bless her. I, ho- I hope she, I ho- I'd say she was praying for me when she was on her hands and knees scraping out the weeds. God bless her. Well done. Well done. Anne from Bantry, due to a lot of wind lately, a lot of Anne's cooking apples have fallen off the trees. She wants to know about the other apples. Is it too early to pick them? Some of them are still quite small. She said she had a great crop of big apples over the last number of years, but they're not as big this year. I, w- I would say no, not to pick them yet. Uh, we're still a bit early. Still about another month or so left, really. You, the big, some varieties would be coming ready to harvest. But with, with the, the ones that have fallen, in some ways, it's the tree's kind of defense mechanism um, with the drought that uh, it'll drop some of them because it, it won't have enough reserves, if you like, for all of them to come to fruition. So if there's too much fruit on the tree, it'll often drop some. Um, I'd say that's what's happened here more so than the wind. Uh, but I, I would probably, I think I would really leave the, the, the other apples still on the tree for another few weeks yet. OK, and let's stay with harvesting stuff. Uh, Deirdre says, uh, when is a pumpkin ready to harvest? It's now starting to turn orange. It is quite large and it's the only one on the plant. It reminds me of the old expression when it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. Yeah. It's, it's, the same, it's the same with the pumpkin. If you think it looks ready to harvest, yeah, it's ready to harvest. It, it's ready. It's ready to go whenever you want, really. Um, but what, 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 now that it's turning orange, when it's when it has gone the right the right color for you, and when when it's the right size for you, then harvest it. Don't leave it on too late uh, because it could start to rot. Um, but you you will still still if it's only beginning to turn colour you still have a few weeks but when when it looks like it's ready then it's ready. Yeah, I was in a well known department store at the weekend while the heat wave was on looking for summer clothes and they had all the fake pumpkins out. I was saying, God, that look of Halloween about it. I was thinking, way too early, folks, way too early. And okay. you know the word that comes after that, Trish. <laughs> Absolutely, Christmas. Bring it on. Okay, yeah. Michael in Skull says he bought is it box palms bushes. 
Buck Pan bushes. Yeah, Buck, well, boxes, yeah. Boxes, okay. He bought them last winter. They came in a pack of uh, six. He planted, he's planted them in a holding area in the garden. They've grown to about a foot tall and he thinks now they're ready and able to be shaped. He wants to know, is now the right time to transfer them to the other area of the garden where he wants them to grow? The only thing about the other area of the garden, there had been other Bucks Palm plants at the same location, but they died off. So he's trying to replace those. Is now the time to be doing it all? Okay, well, there's a few questions in that, really. So dealing with the first one, is now the time to do it? The the answer is kind of, you know, yes and no, or a, hesit- a hesitant yes. Uh, <clears throat> and the reason for that is you wouldn't transfer any evergreen plant at this time of the year. You'd wait till the middle of the winter. However, the fact that they were only kind of healed in there less than a year ago as a temporary holding that they will probably come out easy enough with little damage. If it was last week now and we were still experiencing 30 degree heat, I'd say no, don't, no, definitely don't. Um, but as it's, the temperatures have dipped quite a bit, uh, the, the the chance of root damage lifting something that has been there less than a year is, is pretty low, but I would pay close attention to watering it once you've moved them into their new home. In terms of beginning to prune and shape them, um, July, August is the time to do that. So don't leave it any later in terms of, you could even shape them where they are maybe, I don't know, uh, but 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 don't leave it any later. And it's one of these things that with, with boxes, don't prune them too early either because that leaves them vulnerable to late frost and also to box blight. So July, August is your window there, I would say. Um, and the other thing is in terms of the boxes being there before, it depends why they died as to whether or not it's it's sensible to move new ones in. So if it was a case of, the, it's not like roses, there is the, the specific replant disease, as we've discussed before, Trish, with roses, but that is specific to roses. So, so it's not a replant disease issue, but if the box that was there before, if they died off because of box blight or some fungal infection, well, that's very possibly still in the soil. So I think it might be, it might be prudent to drench that soil with a solution of copper sulfate and water or even the top boxes, um, which is a specific product for box blight, drench the soil before planting with one of those two, uh, leave it for a week or two and, the, and then then move the new plants in. Okay, Kevin in Bantry applied lawn gold to his lawn in the spring. He says to very little uh, effect, can he apply a second dose now? There's also a lot of thatch on the lawn, says Kevin. Well, if there's thatch on the lawn, so thatch, Trish, is this kind of natural build-up of, of dead and decaying matter at the soil surface, so which is totally natural that you would have kind of this kind of material at the soil surface. Um, It's kind of dead leaves beginning to die off and things like that. But it's exacerbated by two things. Number one, rain, uh, which pushes. So instead of the grass growing vertically up towards the sky, rain can push it down and it can start to grow horizontally. Obviously, when we walk on the lawn, we have the same effect. When you're mowing the lawn, the wheels push the blades of grass, so they start growing horizontally. So all this creates bad growing conditions at, at, at the soil surface and the base of the grass plant. And these bad growing conditions then are ideal for the development of fungal problems and the development of moss, okay? So this is what we refer to as thatch. And when when this breakdown of organic matter uh, is, sorry, when, when, when the buildup of or, the, this organic matter and plant material is, is happening at it more quickly than it can break down, well, then it becomes a problem. So what I would do with the thatch before I would apply anything is to scarify it. So a scarifier is just like a mechanical rake, which rips up, physically rips up this physical debris. Uh, the lawn looks desperate afterwards, I have to tell you. Uh, but it, you are doing it a, a 
big, big service by doing this. So I would say Scarify at first. And the good news is that the two best months to do it, uh, to do the Scarifying is either March or September. So we're obviously just, just around the corner from September. So I would say Scarify it then and then put on your lawn gold. Um, and the one I would use is not the spring lawn gold, but there is a, an autumn winter one. I think it's called Winter Protect. And the reason I would do that is because whilst all the lawn gold range is based on on getting the right soil pH to prevent moss growth and improve grass growth, there is a different nutrient mix because grass needs different nutrients at different times of the year. You don't want to be giving it high nitrogen coming into the winter. Uh, you want to be giving it high potassium and phosphorus for good root development. So I would persevere with the lawn gold. I would scarify it first, persevere with the lawn gold, but do use the winter one in September, October. Okay, question for Peter, please. I bought a hydrangea a while back. It's doing grand, lovely pink flowers. And somebody visiting my house yesterday told me that's an indoor plant. Never heard of that before. Will it be okay outside for the winter? Well, I don't know the plant, obviously, because I haven't seen it. But the person who called it out could well be right. There are indoor forms of, of hydrangea. I think the hortensias are hydrangea hortensias are the indoor form. Uh, whereas this, what we tend to, there are many varieties of hydrangea, or species of hydrangea, and I won't bore you with them, Trish, but the ones that we tend to grow outside are either hydrangea macrophylla, which are your, your mop heads and lace caps, the classic hydrangeas, and then we have things like hydrangea arborescens, which is your, your Annabelle, that lovely white one, and we also grow hydrangea paniculata. So they're the three main species that we grow outside. The vast, vast majority would be macrophyllas. Uh, macrophyllas are ob- any of the, the three that I've just mentioned there will be fully hardy outside however if it is a hortensia I think it's hortensia is the indoor one it could be might be wrong on that one but if it is an indoor form no it won't survive outside during the winter okay and you need to work out what type you have okay I gathered this says I gathered seeds from a wild white foxglove fairy thimble when is the best time to plant them do I put them directly into the ground or do I use pots do you know I'd use a seed tray you could scatter them directly onto the ground uh, I would use a seed tray because if you scatter them directly onto the ground some will some will germinate some won't whereas if you if you scatter them on a seed tray um you know, you're more, it's a more controlled environment. So a seed tray or pots with, with damp compost and you, you'll stand a much better chance of, of um, getting more germination. The bad news, I'm afraid, is the white foxgloves won't come true to type from seed. So what that means is they won't come white from seed. You'll get the purple form from the seed of it. Uh, the white form and, and the various different forms are all cultivated forms. Uh, and I'm afraid that the seed doesn't... doesn't uh, necessarily come true to type you'll you'll, you'll have the purple form growing I'm afraid Okay and from John question for Peter please my potato garden looks blighted but the stems are not black the garden was set in the first week of April I wonder what he means by it looks blighted but the stems aren't black I I presume he means maybe that the the leaves are kind of going yellowy brown and shriveling in which case well it could be drought of course I mean it it certainly could be lack of water I, I obviously without knowing the the, the, the patch I, and I don't know but uh, obviously drought and lack of water will lead to 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 browning and shriveling of the foliage uh, which can look like blight however if it's yellow and, and browning and it, it might just be a question of time before that everything goes black so it's a difficult one to answer uh, without seeing it it's kind of I, it's depending on the variety too I'd nearly lift one or two plants and see if they're ready to harvest and if they are I might err on the, on the side of caution get them out of the ground but I don't yeah I would yeah I don't think though with the good weather that we've had that it would have been conditions 
uh, conducive blight. to the, the for blight. Yeah. So I'd say he's probably. I'd say it's more likely drought. Okay. All right, Peter. Listen. Have a great week. And you, we talk next week. We thanks, Trish. We will indeed. Thanks for that. That is Peter Dowdle, theirishgarden.com. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we'll be back with you tomorrow morning for Thursday's edition of the programme at 10 o'clock. On to the line, Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.